Hello out there, ladies. It's Rochelle with another episode of Unabashed You, where we as women get to talk about stuff. It is interesting to watch the growth of a girl into a woman, a woman who is confident, capable, and accomplished, who wants to learn about best business practices while taking care of the earth. It's even more fun when you discover that your niece has grown into a woman you admire and are inspired by. And that is certainly true of my conversation today with Bridget. Per usual, I learned a lot. I have to wonder if you are getting as much out of each episode as I am. I hope so. Isn't that what it's all about? Connection and growth? I want to welcome Bridget to the podcast today. What can I tell you about her? She is an individualist beating to her own drum, and doing so in the most content of ways. She has genuine interest and concern for others, exudes calm and peace throughout whatever life throws her way. She has tons of interests that I'm hoping we will get to expand upon here. And I'm going to throw in a little, yes, she does happen to be my niece. So there's that extra special connection there. Welcome, Bridget. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to uh, chat with you about all those things. And those are very nice things to say. So thank you. Oh, you're so very welcome. We're going to dive right into getting to know you. Three words you would use to describe yourself. Okay. Um, the three words I would use to describe myself would probably be um, unique. I think that would probably be the first one because I am kind of I think I like march to a different beat of a different drummer kind of sometimes. Um, I would say intuitive. I think I'm pretty good at kind of like operating on my intuition a lot of the times. Yes. And uh, I would say, um, I guess confident. Yes. Pretty like when it comes to decision or just like going one way or the other. Um, I don't do a lot of like hesitating or like second guessing. So I guess I would go with confident. I love those. Those are so thought out on the spur of the moment. That's incredible. They, they just, they really yeah. do capture who you are. And of course, obviously we could add others and on a different day, they might vary a little bit, but that's the fun of doing it right now in this time, in this space is that those are the words that would describe you. What of your favorite books of all time? This is a book that, just it, it helped it's just like a, a good old favorite or it's something that you know sort of inspired you or you know it can be from your childhood from now just some kind of a book that is a favorite um okay cool I guess I have two that came to sure, mind sure. that um, I have this book I'm not I'm not a big reader I'll admit it um I it's not that I don't like stories I just I spend so much time like staring at a computer and digesting information that a lot of times I don't have a lot of space to read, but um, 
I am a very visual learner and a visual person. So the first one that came to mind was this book of like Afri old African fairy tales that my mom used to read to me when I was little. Um, I think it's called Her Stories. Ooh. And yeah, and I remember liking it so much as a kid because they had these really big illustrations and they were all really fantastical. Like there were stories about mermaids and stories about, um, there you go. Okay. Look back though. Okay. So yeah. So the second book that, um, I think is one of my favorites. I read it in school and it's called bless me Ultima. And it's the story of this, um, little boy. I think it's set in Mexico. Like in, they call it the plains of Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about his, it's magical surrealism. So it's, partly kind of real, but then there's these kind of fantastical elements that get twisted into it. And it's cool. Okay. So you were describing the two books and then the young boy who's reconciling sort of these two very different sides of uh, his culture, you know, so often we think of culture, particularly in other countries as being sort of one thing. And in, in, in uh, probably in all cases, it's how could it be just one thing? It's, probably multiple things. So you were describing that he was kind of coming to grips with the two different cultures from his mother's side and his father's side. And that book impacted you. And you read that in school. And this other book that your mom read you, you read as a child. So these left an impression on you because now you're an adult. And isn't that interesting that, you know, these weren't necessarily recent reads, but ones that had an impact from early on. Yeah, definitely. I think because I don't, it's not that I don't like reading. I'm just like really specific about what I do like reading. And the genre is kind of that magical surrealism bucket. Or I just like to read straight um, nonfiction, like facts about things, like right. scientific journals and stuff like that. But um, yeah, there's just not a lot of books in that genre that really like hit hard for me. I've read a few more and um, yeah, those two are just kind of my favorite. I like that. I like it. And, and it's so interesting and different. And I'd never heard of either one. So I love that. Oh, cool. Here's a fun question. Who would okay. you want to be stranded on a deserted island with? Um, oh, wow. How funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, probably some good looking man, to be honest. Well, yeah, there you go. Did you have anyone in mind? This can be somebody you don't even know. You don't have to know this person. This can be, you know, somebody you don't know. Um, well, I don't know that like a particular person that comes to mind, but it would have to be someone that I could have a lot of conversations with and not get bored, like lots of intellectual conversations and probably someone who would be fun and humorous to be around. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't know if a person necessarily is. All right, to that's okay. You, you have a, a type, or you know, you have some certain things in mind that would make being deserted on the island much more pleasurable. Much yes, more pleasurable. Exactly. <laughs> All right, two truths and a lie. This is where you say three things about yourself, and two of them are true. One of them is not, and I get to guess which one is the lie. Okay. Um. Two truths and a lie, and I'll mix them up somewhere, too, so that it's extra confusing. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, I have a pet snake, 
Um, I am really good at making black garlic and I have an excellent green thumb. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I already know you have a snake, so that that's out. Okay, I don't know what black garlic is, so I'm going to put that one to the side and then having an excellent green thumb. I think, you know, if I were to guess, it would be like you wish you had a green, a really good green thumb, but maybe you don't. So that that's kind of, that one's got me baffled. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with the, with the green thumb. Yep, yep, you're right. I do wish I had a green thumb. I have a bunch of plants. And I think there's their like life success rate is probably like 40%. So <laughs> Okay, and now we of course we need I need to know what black garlic is. What is that? Oh yeah, so it's like um it's it's similar to the process of fermenting, but it's not actually fermented. It's technically caramelized, but you pretty much put garlic in a rice cooker and you set it to keep warm and you leave it there for like you know anywhere from three weeks to a month ah. and what's out is this really sweet chewy like pitch black garlic and you can use it in like you know soups or salad dressings or you can even just eat it alone because it's really sweet wow. um, and yeah it's really delicious and it's like one of my favorite things to make oh my goodness I have never heard of that okay so you learn something every day all right, now as women, I, I really believe that we struggle with worth. How do you counteract okay, yeah. how do you counteract some of the mixed messages we receive as women? Um let's think. So mixed messages. I mean, I guess like I don't know. I think like if you identify as a woman, like just knowing what makes you you doesn't necessarily have to be defined as like feminine or not feminine or traditional or not traditional or good enough or not good enough like I think if you have a solid idea of who you are then whatever the world throws at you once you define that you just it's easy to filter out like oh this person maybe is just projecting their own insecurities on me or this person maybe has misinterpreted me as a person but if you know, like if you have that good compass of, oh, this is who I am, then whatever messages I get, I guess that you're getting from other people are from external sources and they don't, they don't have to matter as much because they're not coming from you, I guess. That is very wise, Bridget. I mean, the fact that at your, I mean, you may not feel young, but your young age that you have already established so much self-worth, and I mean that in the healthiest sense possible, and then further that you are able to, when people try to throw things at you, you're able to kind of look at them, take them from what they're at, and then discard them. I think that is truly remarkable. Yeah, thank you. Yes. One of the wisest things anyone ever said to you, this is just like we, we all have several things that hopefully we have at the ready that just help us to, you know, like, oh, that's so true. That's so wise. I mean, you just, you have it, it's there. What's, what's one of the things, or maybe the most recent thing you can think of? Um, 
Let's think. Like good advice that I've gotten. Um, I guess what you know, one thing, the thing that comes to mind that is just like a recent thing was um, that people are going to see what they're going to see. So like, you know, if if somebody wants to see something in a certain way, they're going to see it that way. And that doesn't always mean that their their perspective is like correct or in alignment with how you would see it. But because of their experiences and the way that they're thinking, they're going to see it that way. And maybe like just accepting that and not trying to change the way other people see things or, you know, let it deter the way you see things. Um, and understanding, I guess, that each person has a, their own way of seeing things. Um, I think that kind of, I, I recently heard that and that kind of stuck with me. Well, and that kind of couples nicely with what you said about worth, you know, just sort of listening to what someone else has to say, but being very clear on who you are and where you're at, what you stand for, and just, you know, disregarding and, and understanding that a lot of times what people say really doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with them, but they're not in touch with that. They're not aware of that. They don't understand that. And so almost in a way for me and maybe for you, it allows you to have just maybe a little bit more compassion, like hmm, kind of in your head, like, gosh, that's too bad. You don't know a little bit better about that. But, you know, due, yeah. to, due to whatever insecurity or what, what fill in the blank, you're able to kind of just meet that person where they're at and not let them take you on a whirlwind, uh, you know, roller coaster ride of their emotional journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it can be kind of like um almost like an anxiety reliever too, because it's like, you know, you are admonished from having to control or be concerned about the way other people see things. Right. And once you kind of accept like they will see it how they see it and that's that's okay. You know, there's no no need to to change that. Right. And you can you cannot be a positive influence on people but you know their their whole experience is what is going to inform their perspective and it, it that's not your responsibility i guess that is so great i love that <laughs> i love that that's so much what this podcast is all about is you know being who you are and not being apologetic about it and again in the best way possible not in an arrogant way but just in a yeah this is who I am and and you know just just being and sitting in that being in that feeling good in that being comfortable in that being confident in that that just that means so much to me and I love hearing that you already have that so well so well down that's fabulous yay cool. the yeah. last fun thing you did Bridget the last fun thing you did Ooh, last fun thing I did. I mean, I'm lucky in that I, I live up here in Bishop, which is right near the Eastern Sierra. So we do get to do fun things a lot. Um, I think the last fun thing I did that I can think of is we floated the Owens River. Mm. So, my, yeah, my friends and I will get on inner tubes. This is kind of similar to what we used to do as a family in Yosemite. Um and actually, my, my parents were visiting, so they got to float with us. But, yeah, we got on <laughs> inner tubes, 
and we will kind of just hop in the river and float down and it takes about like three hours or so and you get this beautiful view of the sierras as you're going and, and um yeah it's just really fun and relaxing now what happens at the end of the three miles with you in the inner tube um i don't know if it's three miles it, i mean it might be it's three hours or three hours i'm sorry three hours what happens at the end of that with you in the inner tube yeah, so there's like there's a couple little outlet spots where you can just kind of paddle over to the side and pull out, and then um, we park the cars at the end, so we just drive back in the car. There you go. Okay, I was trying to figure out, you know, after being in the sun and being hot and tired, like if you had to then walk three hours back or however long okay. that would take. There's some logistics involved. Okay, oh, that sounds, sounds wonderful. Now, is the water really cold? It's really cold, but the weather's really hot. It's like 100 degrees up here, oh. so it's a really nice position. So it feels fantastic is what you're telling me. Oh, yes. that sounds great. Oh, I love it. I love that. It was the last fun thing. That is a really fun thing. That sounds like a, like something I'd like to do. Yeah, uh, yeah totally. If I ever get up your way, I'm getting an inner tube for sure. Definitely. All right, now we're going deep dive. Now we're going to head into the topics that you brought up. And um, I thought I'd kind of just, you know, throw them out and then we'll chat about them. One about that, uh, one of the topics was sustainability and consumerism. And then like, how do those two, and, and I struggle with this just as your average Jane consumer, you know, trying to buy products that are more on the sustainable side, like how do you balance that? And maybe you might want to mention to our listeners, uh, this actually might be a really good place to share what you're doing and why this is even a concern for you. Sure. Um, so I own a business that is called Terakaya, and we have been around for like three years now. We create um, technical underlayers for women to wear when they're going on outdoor adventures. So, um, yeah, we are, you know pretty much trying to redefine the way that clothes fit and function and just trying to equip people with what they need to get outdoors and be able to experience any kind of um, outdoor environment and equip them with clothing that's going to allow them to do that. Um, and a huge part of our business is also, of course, trying to operate ethically and sustainably and be a part of you know, what is a greater change for the environment and for all the people that live on the environment of Earth. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of a little backstory. And then as for the question, how we balance it, I mean, I think it's kind of hard for both brands and consumers to really find a balance there because I think the two concepts are kind of uh, contradictory to each other like sustainability kind of goes against consumerism and consumerism goes against sustainability and I think it's hard right now because so much of our economy and our, our social structures and our validation as people is related to accumulating wealth and goods and purchasing goods and um, a lot of what would go into a sustainable society kind of is the opposite of that. It has to do with not using resources and not mass producing things. Um, so I think like, I mean, for, I feel like for everybody right now, we're kind of at this weird middle ground where 
we're starting to wake up to the fact that we can't keep continuing with this highly consumeristic um, consumption pattern where we're, you know, we're using up our resources and we are not replenishing them necessarily. So I think like everybody's kind of starting to wake up to this, but it isn't really clear what the solution is yet. And um, so I think, yeah, it's kind of like we're in this really weird transition phase, I think, as a society and, you know, as a business, it's definitely, it's kind of exciting to start navigating it because it feels like you get to be a part of a, a positive change, but there's also a lot of structures in place that are so solidified in our the, like the foundation of how our world works that it's really difficult to figure out ways to like upheave that or at least sort of work around it. Um, so I would say, yeah, right now it just feels like it's a really, really big, strange, weird time for everybody. So you're constantly on a daily basis as you make decisions trying to navigate and uh, keep a balance between wanting it, your business to be as sustainable as possible, but then you also obviously want people to buy your products. And that's, I mean, those things don't have to be imposed. And I do see that there are companies out there that are working really hard to uh, fold in the sustainability into the model of, of their, their business and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there's definitely ways that I think like our economy and businesses are starting to adapt to it for sure. Um, one of the like big concepts, I guess, right now is the idea that if you do purchase something, it should be something that you are going to form a relationship with. So, like, let's say it's a, a shirt or something, right? Like, would be, as a consumer, making a more, more sustainable just a shirt that you really form a bond with. Like, maybe it's, like, it could be a T-shirt that you got at a thrift store that you, you know, maybe, like, it's got a graphic on it that makes you think of your childhood, right? And because you've formed this bond with it, you're going to use that T-shirt for the entirety of its lifespan, even once it rips, you're going to get it fixed. You're going to do your best in order to allow that product to live the longest possible life before it reaches a landfill. Um, and so that's one thing we try to do as a business is we try to design garments that are going to perform in as many environments as possible. So you could, for example, wear it in the water or out of the water. Um, or to work. So now you've only got one product where you could have had three and um, just trying to make something where people love it so much that they just want to really like keep this item in great condition and let it live the life cycle it can and not just, you know, toss it out when it's out of season or is going to fall apart and it has to be tossed out because that's really what is going to be contributing to that big waste cycle that's in the fashion industry. Um, so yeah, there's definitely ways. It's just, um, I guess consumerism as, as a definition is like consuming lots of goods, right? So like you would buy this and then you would buy that and then you would buy, you know, 20 more things and sustainability kind of says you buy one thing, one thing lives a really long lifespan. And by doing that, you know, all of those other items don't make it to a landfill. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah. 
Okay, let's hear about how you got interested in, in you know, starting this business because, you know, as a younger person, well, for starters, you're a very talented artist. And that's, of course, the you know, most listeners that don't know you would not know that about you. And so there was a time when you were kind of thinking of heading off in that direction and, and perhaps you use some of those skills now. So how did you get to this place? Uh, yeah, good question. I feel like I have like the longest kind of most varied backstory. Um, but I'll just give you a quick, quick spark notes rundown. Um, yeah, when I was younger, I wanted to be an artist. And so creativity is kind of something I, I take naturally to. And then simultaneously when I was younger, I also was really into computers and I learned how to write a lot of code for designing websites and things like that. And the combination of those two down the line led me to user experience design and web development. And um, so I ended up working at a software company for a while doing those things and picked up a little bit of college experience in graphic design and uh, kind of landed at becoming an interactive designer, which is somebody who understands technology and builds and designs for technology, but with specific emphasis of understanding what people need. And so anything that you're building is going to be based on feedback from people who are using that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, so like simultaneously while this is going on, I was also working at a rock climbing gym in order to make money. And um, well, this was before before I got the job at the software company, but I was, um, uh, it's called a route setter, but I was designing indoor rock climbs pretty much, which kind of got me into the whole outdoor world and um, got very into climbing. And so those two kind of converged with the, um, advent of what our business calls basewear, which is a hybrid sports bra bathing suit. Uh, but pretty much myself and several other women in the climbing community all got kind of frustrated because we're never able to find bras that fit us because we all have really kind of developed upper bodies and backs and lots of traps. And um, so traditional sports bras or just traditional bras in general just like didn't fit. And then they wouldn't perform well if you were going outdoors. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of led to the conclusion of let's just make something that's better than this, that um, can go outdoors, can be in any outdoor environment, and is actually designed to fit the way modern women are built. And so, um, yeah, that's where my, I guess, experience as an interactive designer came in, because in the process of career we're developing the baseboard top, we pretty much just collected a ton, a ton, a ton of measurements, feedback, um, like qualitative feedback and quantitative feedback from lots of different women of different body types, um, different experiences, lots of, uh, lots of whom were going outdoors regularly. And then we just designed the thing based on that human experience and kept changing it and tweaking it until it was perfect to fit the, um, the needs that we had identified for that, for that customer. And then, yeah, 
from there, like built a website, designed a, an e-commerce strategy, and um, yeah, it's pretty much just been all business and manufacturing and other things that I that are not pertaining to my background um, since then that we have to kind of navigate uh, that have brought us here. But isn't that wonderful though that all those different steps brought you to where you are now? And I want to I want to continue on that path, but I want to back up a little bit and ask you about rock climbing. How did you get interested in that? Uh, yeah, so I actually got more interested in route setting first. Um, I was going to San Diego State. I went there for like a year, and they have a little rock climbing gym in their in their. Um, it's called the Arc. They're like recreations there. Right. And I remember watching the the route setters, the people who kind of they haul buckets up and they drill holes into the wall and they design these. Um, like paths of movement that you would follow to the top. And I remember watching them and just thinking like, that looks like so much fun. I want to do that. Um, so then I, I called a local climbing gym and I was like, Hey, do you have a position as a route setter? I want to do that. Um, and this was like, this was a long time ago now. And there are way more women in climbing now. Um, there are way more women who are route setters, but at the time it was, it was not super common practice. And, you know, I like went into the climbing gym and was like, hey, I would like to, you know, set routes. I have like very little climbing experience. And the guy that was working there was kind of this salty old manager at the time. He was like, he kind of like laughed at me. He's like, I don't, I don't even think you can haul the bucket up. <laughs> and I was like, I was spicy at the time. So I was like, oh, give me that bucket. I'm going to haul it all the way up. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. And then you know, kept working at it. Like route setting is really hard. It's kind of like a construction job mixed with design, which is a super weird juxtaposition, but um, it was really fun. And then, yeah, I got into the climbing community, started climbing outdoors. And yeah, I just, I loved it. You know, it was something I could do on my own. It was great exercise, tons of endorphins, builds a ton of confidence and um, just gets you to a lot of really cool places and communities and at the time I mean climbing was kind of like a band of misfits so there's definitely a lot of people that I felt like I could relate to and um yeah that's how I got into it wow see I didn't know that story I did not know that story I like hearing that that's that's again it's amazing how each of these steps led to the next step led to the next step and, and probably you may not even fully realize just how each step really did lead to the next thing. Okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I was agreeing. I was just like, yeah, totally. All right. So now I wanted to talk about you and your partners <clears throat> created this company because you saw a need, you designed, you, you made it happen. And now you have sales going from the website. And so then the next step, take us to the next step. Um, yeah, I mean, that's when like all the like, I guess, difficult parts of starting a business happened. Um, so yeah, I can run you through that because I, I definitely like full disclaimer, anybody who wants to start a business, like it's definitely not easy by any means of the term easy, like not a single part of it is easy. Um, 
so there were, you know, there was the parts that went well, which was we had experience in designing a really amazing product. People loved it. We got really great reviews. Um, it was really like our brand and all our messaging really formed this immediate like bond with our customers where they felt like they were part of something bigger. And I had a ton of experience in um, technology, setting up any technological systems we needed, like designing out the web website, building it out. Um, and I'm just, I'm good at like sort of structural organization. So all of that was, was fantastic. But then there's this whole other component that I nor my partners had any experience in, which is manufacturing. And that's kind of, that kind of goes back to the sustainability consumerism conversation. But, um, yeah, manufacturing, specifically apparel manufacturing and, just business skills, like understanding what an income statement is or knowing, you know, that you have to submit trademarks for your brand equity in order to make sure you don't run into legal trouble down the line. Right. Uh, and in leadership, which is, I think, the, for me personally, the biggest one that I have had to, like, take on that I, I didn't expect to ever be part of my job title, but, like, people skills, managing people and being able to, like, use your daily tasks to um, like delegate work and inspire other people and lead a team. That's something I definitely don't think I ever would have been like, Oh yeah, I, I'm so excited to do that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been really good in terms of it being a learning process. Um, I'm, I'm definitely really, really, it, um, grateful that now in our third year we have a lot of the right people to take on a lot of the stuff that isn't my expertise like manufacturing and like the business side of things and finances and um, accounting and legal um, stuff that if you were a business major maybe you would know more about but me as a creative major like none of that was ever in my wheelhouse at all um, right so yeah I, I feel really fortunate that now we kind of have those people in place that can do that. Um, but yeah, I would say that was kind of a summary of the following two years after creating our, our top, the Torah, and starting to sell it. It was then, oh, okay, like now that we have this great product, we have to figure out how to create a sustainable business around it. Um, and that, I think, was like the hardest and just most arduous and difficult part of the journey by far. And I think just like now we're starting to get into a space where we have that figured out. We have the people that we need in order to um, have success. And so it's it's been for me, I mean, like over the past like six months, pandemic aside, it's been a huge shift from me having like way too much on my plate that I don't know how to do to me having the people that I need who do know how to do that. And it is their expertise and they can do it really well. And I can do what I do really well. And then we can, you know, combine forces to have a really functional business. Oh, that's, that's just right to having a good team there. Okay. So you took a big risk, um, a few months ago. Let's <clears throat> talk about that. Um, sure. Do you mean opening TK Bishop? Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I think for a lot of people, um, they would see it as a risk, but for us, it actually was financially more, um, 
how do I say, more efficient than what we were, the situation we were in before. So it's actually, um, in terms of, of overhead, more efficient than, than our previous situation. Um, and what's kind of interesting is that as a business, we are, I mean, led and led completely for the most part by people who are in my generation, which is the generation that was born into like computers and understanding technology and not we're, not, we're not like a brick and mortar generation anymore, I guess is how I would describe it. But um, so, so yeah, so just for context, we opened up a retail shop slash office space in Bishop, California, which is a somewhat rural destination if you are not in the outdoor world. But if you are in the outdoor world, Bishop is the world's most famous bouldering destination. Um, and not just bouldering, but also backpacking, sport climbing, trap climbing, alpine, uh, mountaineering, uh, skiing. We've got Mammoth Mountain right up the street, snowboarding. Um, so it's kind of like it's one of the most well-known areas in the outdoor space. And people travel from all over the world. I mean, obviously not now because of the pandemic, but um, in order to get to Bishop. And so our decision to move to Bishop was really strategic in that we are – in the essentially like the hub of where our customers go on vacation. And it also happens to be a little bit more of a rural town. So the leasing and the rent prices are very, very reasonable as compared to a big city. Um, and the main function of our space is actually as an office space. It's um, our, our strategy was to have retail foot traffic essentially just be a, a bonus. And so for, for us, uh, you know, moving with the pandemic has actually been, I mean, it would be great if the pandemic wasn't going on. Don't get me wrong. That would be fantastic. But it hasn't actually that, I mean, at least in terms of our retail business, it hasn't impacted us in a negative way. Wow. Um, and we, we got, we got really lucky. We got a spot where we have the entire side of our building facing all of the traffic um, that is going through to Mammoth or up to Truckee or to Tahoe. So it's kind of like we're, we're financially, it's, it's more than what we were in. We have way more space to operate our office and our D2C operations, D2C meaning direct customer, which means online sales. And we have essentially like this huge amount of advertising space um, to get our, our name out. So that has actually not been um, too much of a risk or, or negatively affected by the pandemic. But the thing that the pandemic is affecting is our supply chain, which is our ability to manufacture goods, because so much of manufacturing is, um, you know, done by minorities in large scale factories where there's, you know, not a ton of social distancing going on. And those kinds of industrial facilities are pretty, you know, at risk for COVID. And that has been, and I mean, that plus like the, the whole supply chain in the fashion world is very international. And so, you know, you might be working domestically in LA, but the, the LA facility is probably getting supplies from China, who's probably getting supplies from Taiwan. So there's just this whole kind of network of um, industrialization that 
was really, really hit hard by the pandemic. And I mean, like even back in January, we were, we were being affected by it because people overseas had already been hit by it. Um, so that is the area that has been tougher for us to, to navigate with everything that's going on. But TK Bishop has been great. And, um, when you say TK Bishop, you're, you're saying the initials, Tara Kaya, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, got our affectionate nickname of TK for the brand, so we call it TK Bish. <laughs> oh, there you go. Now, did the whole team move with you, or is it just you? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, we do have a team that is local up here, and they are mostly working remotely because of COVID, so um, we have limited people coming into the office, and everything is done by appointment, so a lot of people in there at one time. Um, but yeah, we are lucky in that we found a lot of talent locally up here in, in the area that we needed really fast. And so we have a, a local team up here, and then we also work with a strategic partner that is located in Calabasas, and they help us with um, manufacturing and some of the business side of things. Um, so we're kind of we're kind of all over, I guess. Well, so is the Calabasas uh, area, are they, they are now the ones that are manufacturing your top so you don't have to rely on, um, you know, uh, what, would, what would we call it? I don't want to call it unskilled labor, but just, you know, unideal labor, I'll call it. Um, well, in our, in our space, it's more so that the, our strategic partner does sourcing. And so sourcing is like you, um, you are working with factories and facilities, um, and textile mills and trim suppliers, and you're sourcing them from other locations and then bringing them in. So they don't necessarily create our garments. They're just orchestrating the Got it. garments is how I describe it. They're the middleman to yeah. the garments. Now, how does yeah. TK feel about, I guess I wonder about the whole having stuff made in China, having stuff made in, you know, areas where workers aren't necessarily well paid or, um, you know, that sort of thing. How do, how do you tell me about, tell me, walk me through that. Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, that I think is one of the hardest things that we've had to navigate. Two sides of it. There's the side that, like, the world that is not in the fashion world understands or maybe has assumptions about. And then there's the side that you would know having worked directly in it. So, the kind of, like, um, I guess, like, assumptions is the word, but, um, or maybe even just, like, not, not rumors, but I'm losing the word for it here, but just like there's a lot of assumptions I think that people have about different countries or different things that are really so much more nuanced and so much more complex than could be summarized in. But like, you know, there's, there's an entire ecosystem of factories uh, textile mills and production facilities all over the world, and each one has its own kind of code of conduct. I got guess. it. Got it. So, 
Yeah, and so as a person who is sourcing, and this is something that we've we are currently tackling and navigating, we have to decide what do we stand for and what are we willing to accept and how can we find a supplier who is able to meet our standards and can also consistently produce our garments. Um, so sometimes, you know, like whether it's in China or Taiwan or Vietnam or Mexico or the United States, um, the location isn't really what matters. It's what that factory is, yes. how that factory is conducting themselves and how you as a brand are sure that they're conducting themselves in a way that aligns with your brand's um, expectations, I guess. Well, I think, so, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's just like a lot of a lot of homework to be done. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Well, I appreciate so hearing that. Learning. Again, this is an area where... Yeah, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. I appreciate everything you had to say on that topic because I think there are stereotypes and there are generalities and there are assumptions that are made. And, and I would be the first one to say I'd probably fall, unfortunately, in that camp. And so I, I think if I'm purchasing something, I need to make sure that the company that stands behind that product um, has the kind of value system or um, integrity in place that they are not, um, what would a good word for it be, sort of repeating or exacerbating kind of the stereotype. Sure, yeah. Um, I, I think it's always good to like have that stereotype maybe as a starting point, you know, but um, there's just so much more to learn about it. You know, like, for example, one stereotype that I think we've we've kind of had to tackle is the idea that producing domestically is always better or made in USA is always better. And in a lot of cases, that isn't actually better. Um, and it goes from, you know, like labor conditions to um, just understanding, I guess, the economy of the United States and what kind of labor is appropriate for a first world country versus a, an upcoming country. Um, and like, it's, it's really hard to understand the full scope of it. Like, for example, I was, I was, um, I remember I was talking to a peer in one of my business groups who had been the CEO of a couple of really big uh, companies, outdoor companies in the outdoor space. And he was recounting this story about, you know, a factory that was in, I believe it was in China and they received a ton of pressure, the people who were producing with this factory, in order to raise the wage of the labor in this factory to meet what the United States would be consider, considering minimum wage. But what happened was that the laborers were then being offered more per their their um, econ their local economy more than what doctors were making. Oh my and gosh! <laughs> and yeah, and so then what happens in that that community is is children instead of pursuing you know education or a career that would be um, you know having them go beyond just manual labor were being incentivized to just go into factory jobs because it paid better. Wow! And so there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of like nuanced understanding about the world and other communities and other ecosystems that are not 
um, not always the same as ours and sometimes intermingle with ours in different ways. And so that I think has been a big, I guess, undertaking of ours is how do we navigate this? How do we communicate it to our customers? Because like, there's, you know, there is no fault to anyone who may uphold these thoughts, right? Like when I first started, I definitely thought domestic was the best way to go. And made in USA means less freight, which means less fossil fuels are being used. And that must be better, right? But after kind of diving deeper into it, I understand now that there's so much more complexity to it. Um, so I definitely don't fault anyone for having those, those thoughts or assumptions. It's just now how do we you know, how do we educate our customers so that they understand the depth of these complex topics and, um, and can make, you know, purchase choices accordingly. Well, and not only that, but the, the lengths, um, that your company, the people that are committed to your company are going to, to ensure that you are upholding you know, the integrity and the values for which your company stands. I mean, I, I, I would like to know that as a consumer for, you know, for something I'm buying that, oh my gosh, they, you know, they went to all this trouble to make sure X, Y, and Z happened. I think that's incredible. And yeah. there was something else I was going to say. Um, I, I think I, oh, it's a question. Why, why don't we hear more about this? Where, I mean, I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be had all over the place because, you know, you have enlightened me and educated me in something that I didn't even know I needed enlightening in. I mean, I wouldn't sit here and tell you, oh, yes, I know all about manufacturing. I don't, I, but I'm just an average you know, an average person. And, and I think I have the average person's, you know, view probably of, of, of like we were talking about the assumptions, etc. So I love that you, you and your team went so much farther than really was required by certainly by law, you but by integrity, you required it of yourselves. That says a lot. Did we lose you? Uh-oh. I think we lost her. Bridget? I think I got I think I got you. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Yeah, I've lost you just for a second. Okay. Anyway, I was just okay. thanking you for enlightening me and for bringing this topic up and for going above and beyond really what is required to make sure that um, TK Bish... Now I'm going to be in the now here. Is uh, it's doing all they can, and I and I agree. I I like the idea of you educating your your customer, your client through, you know, whatever packaging you do on your website. I mean, I'm going to give a shout out to Allbirds because, um, you know, I I would do a commercial for them in a heartbeat. I mean, I love how they are. Just their website is so great, and they have videos about what they do and why they're doing what they do and sustainability and all that. And it's very impressive, especially for somebody who doesn't know that much about it. But I will confess, the consumer side of me, Bridget, I think I own like eight pairs of Allbirds. So 
I did. Their website, right? It's cute. I like it. Yeah, I didn't just uh -huh. I didn't just get like attached to one pair. I, I have multiple colors, a couple different styles, but I love them. They're my favorite shoe. Honestly, that's I mean that's that's a sign that they are designing sustainably. If you love it so much that it becomes like a part of your uniform. Um, and that's, you know, you don't need to feel any guilt about that. That's, that's, you're definitely participating in a good thing. And we have the same thing. We'll have customers just purchase every single color, um, because they love it so much. And yeah, I, I've seen this logo before, but I haven't seen, oh. I didn't know they did shoes, but yeah, this is cool. Love. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you spoke, spoke to some really interesting points and it's helping me kind of brainstorm as well. Cause a lot of times we do just keep this stuff internally and, we know that we're, you know, operating on this moral compass and it's creating a lot of um, standstill and difficulties for us, but we don't always communicate it outward. And I think that is a good question. Like, why isn't, why isn't it spoken about more? Why don't we have more of these conversations outwardly with our customers so that they can learn more? So I think that's definitely helping me as well. Yes, um, yes. Because I'd love to go on your website yeah. and see a video about it or learn more about it, read more about it. I, I think, you know, as, as I head more, you know, I'm trying sort of in my own little limited way to consume things that are more on the sustainable side and not just because I like it. So I think educating us by whatever that looks like is, is fabulous absolutely fabulous really? yes yeah i like those ideas all right okay now is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we sign off i i you know i have learned so much and i am so appreciative <laughs> of you you know are very well spoken you're very knowledgeable you have passion for what you're doing all of that comes across and you are helping to educate those of us who who quite frankly I want to be educated on this stuff but I it's like I don't know how to go about it unless you know I'm purchasing stuff something and their website is like we are doing this and we are doing that. And sometimes you can tell when it's fluff and it's not the real deal. And then you're like, yeah, on a different one, you're like, oh, this is obviously the real deal. Come on. I mean, this is incredible. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. And I am looking forward to seeing how you like raise your profile in this manner as a company to really help educate your your clients, I think it's I I think it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I feel like I'm leaving this conversation with a lot of cool ideas as well. So I'm equally excited to see what comes out of that. Good, it's a win win. It's a win win. Now, are the have those been like little alarms? Are you getting texts or? Their emails. I know. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to mute them on my computer, but. Oh, yeah, okay. Got it. That's okay. It's, you know what? Unabashed you, we are real. So if you've got some texts, good for you. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real thing here. Real sounds, real things happen. All right. So anything else before we conclude? 
No, I think this was great. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And, um, yeah, I hope those who are listening um, will also enjoy listening to it. And, I don't know, Skype's asking me something strange. I'm glad we're being real. (laughs) But, yeah, um, no, this is great. And I look forward to everything that follows. Look forward to listening to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you. And I... I really have a, a deeper sense of not only what you do, but admiration and inspiration for what you do. So thank you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I feel the same. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Bridget. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Yep, you did hear some of her electronic notifications that came through, plus a couple of airplanes that went overhead as we spoke. We did have a few technical glitches throughout our conversation. They were edited as smoothly as possible. Thank you for your understanding. I know I'd like to do a better job when I purchase things, giving a bit more thought to all that goes into it. It will be a process, to be sure. Thanks to Bridget for being our guest today and for increasing our awareness of sustainability and consumerism. You can read more about each episode of unabashedyou.com. Want to be a guest? Have questions? You can email us at unabashedyou at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already done so, please take a moment to rate and review us there. They do not collect any personal information, and it takes about 30 seconds. It's a great way for the podcast to be discovered and to reach more and more women who can find value in knowing more. And now our blessing. We pray for all human beings that we will be filled with a spirit of concern for the future of our environment, bring an end to the exploitation of the Earth's scarce resources, and live as responsible stewards, protecting and respecting this gift of creation that God has placed in our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Women, you know what's next. Go be unabashed. Be you.